Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. And um, got some great thoughts that I want to talk about today, some good thoughts and things I've been thinking about. So we'll have a, a fireside chat here. But I want to start out by reading a scripture from Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. And it says this, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so, uh, most of you know me, what I do now is I do advocacy work. Uh, for the Jewish people, we, we uh, address the issue of growing anti-Semitism uh, in America on Christian college campuses. We talk about replacement theology and, and how the church is moving back into teaching and preaching replacement theology in our seminary campuses. Uh, but before uh, this, I was a pastor for 35 years. And so this is all going somewhere today, so just stay with me. But in 35 years, I had the, the wonderful privilege of pastoring many godly saints. And it was a joy. And godly saints are easy to pastor. They're like sheep. And I have a little two-year-old grandson, and I'll say to him sometimes, what does a lamb say? And, and he'll say, bah, bah. And so pastoring sheep is, is easy. Uh, they have puppy hearts. They have sheep, lamb hearts. It's like, teach me, correct me, pastor. They're tender-hearted, and they receive the word, and they, they sit there with their Bibles on a Sunday, and they, they listen to what you're saying, and then they apply it. And Jesus said consistently, uh, hear the word, and that word hear in Hebrew is hearing and doing. And so sheep, Christians, they, they not only hear the word, but they do what it says. And in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, uh, Jesus said this. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things and parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path. And I want to stop there and say, I've been to that place. Uh, there's a, a church there that's built uh, on the Sea of Galilee. My first trip to Israel, um, I was up in the, the uh, Mount of Beatitudes, and it was during the time of the, the Intifada, and there were the, the hotel up there were closed. And there was a, a hotel for visiting priests at the Church of the Beatitudes, and the, the head uh, mother said to me, uh, it's closed, but we do have this little tiny convent right on the shore. Sister Mary and Sister Elizabeth, they've lived there for 40 years, and I'll let them know you're coming, and it's $25 a night. So I drove my car, my rent-a-car, down uh, the mountain of Beatitudes to this little gate. I pressed the button and rang the bell, and they let me in. I drove all the way down this little winding path 
And there on the sea was this uh, convent for visiting priests from Italy. And right next door was the, uh, the church uh, by the rock where, where Jesus, uh, you know, came and, and uh, taught the people. But uh, it's a, it was an amazing sight. So I just throw that in there as a little commercial. But back to the scripture here. And he, he sowed and some fell among the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much uh, soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withdrew, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so what Jesus is talking about is four types of the human heart. First, there's the, the heart that's like the path, and a, a path that's been walked on becomes hard. And uh, these people, they can't receive the word because their heart is hard. And then there's rocky ground, and, and those people have no depth. Uh, the seed was sown, uh, but they had no depth, and, and uh, it withered away. They, they weren't growing. It's like a glass of root beer. Someone once told me, never be like a glass of root beer. I said, why not? Because they said all the foam is at, at the top, and um, there's not really, you know, deep root. And so uh, then there's the thorns, and uh, the sin came and, and choked out. The, the seed. And so those, that kind of a human heart is someone that just constantly is given over to sin and the weeds are constantly choking out uh, whatever seed is sown. And then Jesus said, some seed is sown on good soil and it produces grain a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. And so it was a joy for me to pastor people that had good soil hearts that their heart had been plowed and, and it was ready to receive the word. But some in the church uh, that, that I pastored, I pastored two churches, and one, I was there 25 years, the other uh, eight years, and then I was associate pastor for, for two years. So 35 years of pastoring. And as long as I pastored them, their hearts were hard. They had rocky ground. They, they were constantly in sin, and, and they were in church, yes, uh, even read their Bible, but they were always in thorns. Their hearts were rocky and hard. And they were thinking, listen, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer 20, 30, 40 years ago. I'm going to heaven, and on this earth, I can live the way I want to. I don't need to show love to my neighbor. I don't really need to follow the commandments. I don't need to hear and do the word of God. And what happened with, with these hard-hearted Christians and rocky soil Christians, uh, thorn Christians, what happened is they became very judgmental because they, they, they didn't realize where they came from. They forgot where they came from. And they would constantly point the finger of judgment at other Christians and at those in the outside world. And they would point their fingers at, at sinners. And uh, remember, and they forgot the scripture that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I like to say that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. All of you listening to me that are, that are sheep Christians, that you, you have puppy hearts, tender hearts, and you just want to be fed and you want to grow in the Lord. All of us, we have a past. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But thank God every sinner has a future. And that not only goes for 
saints, but it, it also goes for those in the world that may not have come to the Lord yet. Every, everyone has a future. Every sinner has a future uh, if they come to the Lord. So we forget that we've all sinned and we've fallen short. And some people interpret this, well, that means you. You've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but not me. I remember when I was a pastor, there was next door to our church, there was a convenience store. And I would go there every morning and um, get a cup of coffee. About 6 o'clock, we had a 6.30 a.m. prayer meeting at the church. And I would go there early and get a cup of coffee. And the manager of the store, his name was Van. And I always talked to Van and uh, shared my life with him, shared my faith with him. I've been going there a couple years. And um, some Christians in the community, they came by my office and said, listen, this convenience store they sell pornography, and so we are going to uh, protest this convenience store, and we're making signs and placards, and we're going over there, and we're not going to shop there anymore. We're going to boycott this store, and so they wanted me to sign a petition, and so I said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you talked to Van, the manager of the store? He's a really a, a great human being. They said, no, but, um, you know, he's a sinner, and, and he's doing this, and, and we're going to to trash his store. And so I said, well, I can't sign the petition until I speak to Van. So the next morning I go to the store and I said, Van, you know, you're about ready to be picketed by the Christian community. And um, he said, you know what? I don't like this, this stuff. Any, any, uh, I, I hate it. And so let me appeal to my district manager and let me see if I can get this out of my store. Within 24 hours, it had been removed and what happened was Van's heart was now just open. He had, a, he had an open heart. So I told our congregation the story, and I said, from now on, let's buy all of our gas at Van's store and buy your milk, whatever you need. He told me within a couple of months that his store was the best store in the entire region financially because of all the, the Christians from our church. They were now coming and buying their milk and their gasoline from his convenience store. And I remember the, the story of the woman caught in adultery. What did Jesus say to those that were accusing her? Uh, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. So my concern is Christians in this generation, because we, many of us have, have lost the, the tender heart of who we are and where we've come from and what the Lord has called us to be as salt and light in our community, not judging the sin of others, but loving the sinner into repentance. And, and so I'm, I'm afraid that we've moved into this season of idolatry in, in Christianity in America, especially within evangelicalism, that we've become judgmental of those inside and outside the church. And there's a scripture in, in Jude, verse 22 through 23. It says, Upon some have compassion, making a difference. Upon others, snatch them from the fire and save them. On others show compassion mixed with fear, hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And that means as I reach out to those in the, in the world, I've got to be careful, yes, that I, I don't want to um, you know, make uh, fr sinners my friends, but then get involved in what they're doing. Of course, that's, that's uh, prudent. But the scripture says that we need to be compassionate to those that don't know the Lord, making a difference in their life, snatch them from the fire and save them. I remember 
when I was a pastor in Chicago, a young couple, they'd been in our church for probably six months, and they came up and they said, Pastor, they had two beautiful twin children. They said, we'd like you to dedicate uh, our children. They were newly saved, newly um, born again. We'd like you to dedicate our children. And I said, well, great. And they said, well, before you dedicate them, we'd like you to marry us. I had no idea. So I said, well, it's wonderful. And so they went and got their their marriage license on a Sunday morning, uh, right in the middle of the church service, I performed a, a marriage ceremony first, and then we dedicated the twins. And it was a, it was a beautiful day. And so <clears throat> someone once said, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and that young couple, they felt cared for. And they felt they could come and say, you know, this is what's happened in their life. And, and uh, they became, you know, solid growing members of our church. I remember one time there was a, a man, he was in the Chicago mob, and his wife came and she was born again at the church, and uh, she brought her husband, and he was born again, radically saved. And so we baptized him on a Sunday morning, and so he had a baptism party, and he invited all the mobsters from the Chicago to this really nice restaurant. I get there, there's about 100 people, mobsters. And uh, this man got up and gave his testimony. And of course, everybody's smoking cigars and cigarettes and drinking alcohol. And I thought, you know, this is where Jesus would be, right in this situation. He, he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. And it was a beautiful day, but I think that probably a lot of Christians that maybe were judgmental would have judged me as a pastor for being in that environment, for being in that situation, but that is exactly where I needed to be. So we are not called to judge the sins of the world. Uh, The Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Jesus was a friend of sinners, and that's how I want to be known, is a friend of sinners, and that's how we should all be known friend of sinners. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you the story of my next door neighbor. His name is Jack. This is years ago. And I was a pastor at the time. And Jack wore a gold chain. He smoked a cigar. And he would walk his dog every night, smoking a cigar, drinking a glass of brandy. And when he found out that I was a pastor, he would generally cuss me out, you know, as he walked by my house. And my wife and I invited he and his wife to dinner. And I'll tell you about our conversation when we come back from the break. And we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for being with me today on Israel and You. Hi, I'm Aaron Free, President of Israel Team Advocates. There's an alarming decline today in the support of Israel among U.S. evangelical millennials ages 18 to 29. A May 2021 survey administered by the Barna Group shows that between 2018 and 2021, favorable support for Israel has been cut in half from 75% to 35% among evangelical millennials 
in the United States. If this trend continues, evangelicalism will be anti-Israel in just a few short years. And remember that young Christians today will be the leaders of tomorrow. Israel team recently conducted interviews with students at a major evangelical university concerning their understanding of the Holocaust. The answers were troubling. To the first question, what was the Holocaust? Half of the students did not know. To the second question, who was Adolf Hitler? Again, only half of the students had knowledge enough to connect him to the Jewish genocide. In the remaining questions, we found a surprising, breathtaking, really, lack of historical understanding of the murder of six million Jews during the Holocaust. This example is indicative of a much larger problem. The study of the Holocaust is not prioritized in Christian primary, secondary, and higher education. And there's so much more that we can do. You can help Israel Team today by going to israelteam.org and clicking the donate button and your tax-deductible gift today will help us in pushing back against this growing narrative of anti-Israelism within the evangelical millennial community. So go to israelteam.org and stand with us today. We're building a bridge for the coming generation, and it's so important that we build that bridge. So help us today at israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back. And we're talking about my friend Jack and uh, next door neighbor, lived next door to him for two years, always tried to share my life and my faith, but he didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And uh, so one night we took him to dinner and he slammed his hand in the fin- on the, um, the table and he said, You know, when I was 20 years old, I went through a divorce and the church that I was in, they disowned me and they kicked me out. And I've never been back to church since. And he was a man in his 60s. He was a retired colonel from the Air Force. And um, so we invited him to church. He said he would never go to church. He went on uh, a two-week hiatus with the Air Force. He was still in the reserves. And um, his wife came to church with us and she was radically born again. We gave her a Bible. She wouldn't speak to us for three months because she was afraid that her husband might find out what happened to her. Well, finally, he decided to come, and uh, he was born again, beautiful salvation, sat on the front row for the next eight years, became an usher, a small group leader. He had puppy feet. He had a good soil heart. And one day I ran into him at the grocery store, and he came up to me, buried his head in my chest, started weeping and said, I've, I've just found out I have uh, lung cancer, and I'm dying, and I don't have that much longer to live. But he said, Aaron, there's not a day that goes by in my life that I don't thank God that you moved next door to me to share your life with me. And you see, that's what the gospel is. It's loving my neighbor. It's sharing my life. It's showing hospitality. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And my concern is that evangelicalism is moving into a kind of idolatry where we're first Americans and we're second Christians and we're pointing the finger of judgment at a fallen world. And uh, the scripture says, pray for kings and all those in authority. And we've almost become a reactionary movement and we find an issue, whatever the issue of the day is, and then we strike out against that issue that's in the world. Maybe it's a sin issue in the world. We strike out against it. But remember... In Nazi Germany, 90% of the 
at uh, Germans were Christians, Catholic and Protestant. It was the strongest evangelical church in the world, and they moved into a time of idolatry where they, the Christians became Germans first and Christians second. And they were concerned that the Jewish Bolsheviks from, from Russia were going to come into Germany and, and destroy Christianity. So it became a war of Christianity against Judaism. And uh, the Christians began to point a finger of judgment at all those in the world. And not only did baptized Christians, were not, they were not only complicit in killing six million Jews, but they're also complicit in killing six million homosexuals and infirmed and, and gypsies and political prisoners, anyone that did not agree with their ideology. So it's time to look at the moat in our own eyes. Time for us to look at them for me to look at the moat in my eye and all have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God and I read an article last week it was in Pathios magazine July 19th 2023 by a friend of mine pastor friend of mine named Rob Shank and he says this it's the title of the article is confessing our evangelical sins and he says, complimenting myself by condemning others isn't our doctrine of human sinfulness. It's not how the doctrine of human sinfulness works. In the unforgettable parable about the tax collector and the religious legalist, Jesus made clear the only sins that matter are the ones we commit. Doing as the legalist did in Jesus' story, congratulating ourselves for being better than others, even if we do that quietly in our minds, means committing spiritual pride. Sanctimoniousness was one thing Jesus most harshly denounced in religious leaders. It should be normal for Bible-believing, born-again Christians to understand this basic truth. One of the premier and rudimentary evangelical beliefs is universal sinfulness. Thus, our common need for a Savior. An evangelical's faith journey begins by confessing, I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Plenty violate this fundamental principle post-conversion by becoming holier than thou. In doing so, they do the opposite of what the gospel calls us to do. Instead of being as bad as anyone else, it leads us to think we're better than anyone else. When it comes to this core tenet of equality among sinners, says my friend Rob Shank, I've noticed a gradual move away from it over the nearly 50 years I've been an evangelical. Today, though, I see a rapid and all but complete departure from it. The Bible warns pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Our movement will, be, will prove uh, more abundant if American evangelicalism continues this arrogantly destructive path. To help me and my co-religionists correct this fatal error, says Rob, I offer the following list of our corporate sins. I recommend we dedicate ourselves to admitting to them before God and our fellow human beings, making amends for them as much as possible, and pledging to reject the temptation to indulge in them again. Rather than recite a litany of sins by rote, I suggest we sit with each one in silence in this way, we can absorb the magnitude implications for reaching consequences and ease with which we and our cohorts commit these sins. We can and must do more, of course, until we fully feel the effect of these sins and appreciate the damage they've done to individuals, families, communities, nations, and the world. Until we feel the offense, the fear, the dejection, and the humiliation of our sins that we've inflicted on others, we will not be able to muster or sustain the repentance 
assistance necessary to turn this terrible situation around. And then he says, the sins we evangelicals have committed before God and our fellow human beings. We have pridefully convinced ourselves that humbly confessing our sins at a one-time altar experience forever places us in a favored status with God. We have arrogantly compared ourselves to others, concluding that our sins are worse than their sins are worse than ours. We believe we sin less offensively, less consequently, and less often than others. We have often failed to love God above everything else and to express that love by loving others unconditionally. Instead of loving our neighbors, we treat them contemptuously especially if they don't look, speak, or behave like us. We have failed to forgive others as God has forgiven us. We have encouraged and at times embraced vengeance, retribution, and punishment over Jesus' command to love those who would be our enemies. We have shielded abusers, perpetrators, and predators instead of holding them to account in order to sustain our comfort and preserve an appealing image, all at the expense of the vulnerable. We have spurned grace and mercy, discounting them as weak and useless in their place. We've brandished guns, menaced our fellow citizens, and employed violence against those whom we disagree. We have bowed down to the idols of political power, prosperity, prestige, and personalities. We have coveted what others have instead of generously giving to others out of what we have, including tangible and intangible things. We have called evil good and good evil and defended lawlessness as it were righteousness. We have disdained the love of Christ for every human being and wrapped ourselves in the mantle of Jesus to exploit political power and material gain. We have forgotten our first love. And then he quotes the scripture from Nehemiah 1.4. As soon as I heard these, th- these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So repentance is a wonderful thing. It's a freeing thing. And for you and I, we have to look at our own lives. And remember what I said earlier. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. We've all sinned. Every one of us that's listening to the sound of my voice, whether you're a sinner or a saint, we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And what is sin? It's, it's missing the mark. And I sometimes use the illustration of the, the bullseye on a, on a uh, dartboard. And so if um, you and I are th- throwing darts at a dartboard, and I, I take my dart and I throw it, and I, uh, my dart hits the rim of the dartboard and then falls to the ground. Uh, and then you take your dart <clears throat> and you throw your dart and you miss the bullseye just by a hair of an inch. I mean, you're almost spot on. You might think, well, hey, I won and Aaron lost. But if a judge was standing by, he would say, you know what? You both lost. And, and you might say, well, why is that? Look at Aaron. Look at Aaron's dart. It, it, it missed the entire board. It's lying on the ground. And look at my dart. It's so close to the bullseye. And the judge would say, you both lost because you both missed the mark. And so sin is missing God's standard of righteousness. And so we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We've all missed that standard of righteousness. So how can I judge someone else? How can I look at the, the speck in their eye when I have this huge log in my own eye? And so we as evangelicals in this day, 
I'm just praying that this thing turns around and we develop corporately as, as a body of believers. We, we develop the heart of the Lord and we become the friends of sinners and we become salt and light and we return to the gospel message, which is not judging the world. It's, it's being a friend of the world and sharing our love with the world. So we'll see you next time on Israel and You. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.